Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin and welcome to another week of the Battleground Wisconsin and Robert Craig, our Executive Director is with us. Robert, great to have you. Good to be here, Matt. Well, <laughs> Robert, we are we're, we are rolling fast towards our annual meeting here at Citizen Action and wanted at least start the show by mentioning if any of our listeners uh, listen to this before Saturday at 10 a.m., the Saturday 10 a.m., we're having our annual meeting at Citizen Action. Celebrate a little bit what we did this year, but also look a little bit forward. So please consider joining us. We'll have a link at the bottom. But Robert, man, it's almost 2023, and we got a lot of news this week about the 2022 election that I want to get your thoughts on. First and foremost, uh, the big news this week, of course, is Georgia and Raphael Warnock winning pretty easily. Want to get your thoughts, first of all, just on the race, but most importantly, like to get your initial thoughts on what this means. Um, a lot of folks talked about uh, winning the 51, uh, the 51st seat in the Senate. Um, had lost a little bit of its luster because, quote, it we already sort of had control um, with Harris's vote. But there are differences about actually getting control and having 51. And Robert, I want to get your thoughts then as it relates to governing, right? What does this mean? Like, what what does the next two years look like, if anything, in terms of governing with a what is going to be a wildly conservative house with a very narrow margin and fissures. Uh, and let's just say probably a much more unified uh, progressive moderate side on the Democrats, but only holding the Senate and of course having president Biden, Robert, Georgia and all this, your thoughts. And uh, one of my three degrees is from University of Georgia. So uh, glad to see Georgia become a, blue state, at least in U.S. Senate races, uh, so which is a huge transformation structurally in this country. Uh, that move in North Carolina has been pivoting back and forth for a while, too. Uh, so it would have been more transformational if we'd held the House, which we might have done if it wasn't for the redistricting mess in New York that lost Democrats four seats in a blue state. Uh, so then we could have governed, of course, 52 seats would be even better in that scenario. So the Manila Barnes race then continues to, to burn. But like, talking about governing, the only governing left, since we know this is going to be a, uh, a flying monkey crazy uh, House of Representatives, is executive action and appointment of judges. And that's very important given the right-wing conspiracy to pack the court with judges that aren't really judges. We and so that. and so Robert, there the 51 means a lot. Warnock yeah. means something that we couldn't do uh the last couple of years. Well, we we Biden got a lot of judges confirmed, but with Schumer, but it was slower because right. the Republicans had all sorts of ways to slow it down. And that is part of the story of why Bill Back Better was such a mess, because of all of the procedural hurdles going on constantly to get every judge approved. And so that one of the problems was is that in a 50-50 Senate with the vice president breaking the tie, uh, there is 50-50 control of each committee. And so what happens is if there's a deadlock on the committee on partisan lines, 
then it doesn't go to the floor automatically and complicated time-consuming procedures, which the Republicans availed themselves of, uh, make it hard to bring to the floor, but it can be done. And so that slowed down everything. So there was sabotage of Biden's legislative agenda, and that no longer is possible because there That's will- That's really be important, Robert. That's really important, and I'm glad you talked about this because, look, one thing Trump did effectively and Republicans who want to trash him, try to trash him right now, still refuse to – uh, they love him because of what he did for the courts, for conservatives, right? And we saw that play out with Roe, and we've seen it out where we get all these wackadoo rulings from Trump judges. Uh, this is very important, often overlooked by progressives and Democrats, uh, not after Roe. Uh, so, Robert, yeah, more on the idea that there's a lot of work to be done on approving judges. So well, that's part of it. And frankly, you can't do legislation now. We should be because we haven't expanded the number of, of of courts, federal courts since the late 1920s. That's partly why it takes so long to have any federal lawsuit. And of course, there is no set number of Supreme Court justices. This nine thing is an artificial norm. And since they have already shredded the other norms around Supreme Court appointments, why would we hold up this norm? We're going to abide by alleged norms, but they don't. That is why, in part. Uh, what's going on is going on in terms of the attack on democracy. So that's important because we need real judges and the president can appoint a lot of them uh, and uh, also a Supreme Court justice if if someone passes away can be more quickly done. I'm not wishing for that. I'm saying it happens. Life happens. Um, but then the other thing is, is that uh, the committee's can do better work. They can investigate. The reason all the investigations were in the House because it's the because of the split 50-50 committees in the Senate. So where we're going to lose the January 6th committee, a lot of information could be conveyed to the relevant Senate committee or the Senate or the Senate itself. And then the Democrats could continue if that was necessary, unless it's entirely within the Department of Justice. Uh, they also can play more of a role in uh, trying to counter in appropriate way the clown car crazy investigations that the House is going to start, which are going to make oh. might make Michael Gableman, Gableman look like a sane investigation well, of uh, the 2020 election. I was just going to say that I you brought up the ability of Democrats to do investigations, but it's really clear that the House that is the might be the only thing they do. In fact. It's like the only thing they've been talking about since the election. You did not hear them talk about this. You missed this in the ads. I know. I know, voters. You didn't hear them running on, we're going to investigate the shit out of the country for the next two years. We're basically going to investigate all of our enemies, right? Like Hunter Biden. It's amazing to me that the investigation of Hunter Biden is literally on their top three list of things they're going to do. They may impeach. They may impeach the president. They may impeach cabinet officials. They Go may for it. Go for it. That is absurd. They can, they can impeach. This is the price Kevin McCarthy has to pay to become speaker. And even then, it's a little uncertain whether he can get the number of, of votes he needs. They may be in chaos. I tend to think they're not because I tend to think they're very good at hiving. They're much better than you at UAD than the Democrats, and that they will find a way. But uh, they haven't yet. The investigations will allow them to hive, Robert. That's the one thing that they can. And and that's why the laundry list of, and I say that as a joke, 
of things that they say they're going to do literally does boil down to investigations. There's not much else they can do. The only other thing they're going to do, and they don't like to talk about this, is they're going to try to muck up funding for all the things that just got passed the last couple of years, right? They're going to try to go back and relitigate everything in terms of resources, which, you know, that's not the, this is not an exciting agenda that, <laughs> that they've got. Well, well, Matt, this is the culture war theory of politics. You don't do things, you rev up your base, and that that's actually a major tool of, of fascism and what this is, pre-fascism. And so this is like critical race theory. This is like the taking of issues that are real, public safety immigration, and then loading up so much culture war stuff that you've made them unwieldy. You made, you made them a fiction, like the fiction that there's an open border in this country. And it distracts attention from the reality, say, on immigration, that our inability to govern and update our immigration system since the 1980s is causing the issues we have, uh, but their base doesn't know what the real issues are because they're fed lies every night on Fox well, News. Look, what, what I'm hearing when I hear what you're talking about, this is a golden opportunity for progressives to be thoughtful about what we're doing the next couple of years. Um, we've been very effective, I think, of getting a lot of our policy ideas enacted uh, in this last two years. Now, way slimmed down versions uh, and not up to the scale of what we need, but clearly there's, there's a majority of Democrats. We could, we should be proposing big, bold things and 2024, right? This is going to move very quickly to an election cycle because of the setup of what you just laid out, Robert, the and split. Belatedly, the pundit class is giving a lot of credit to Biden's policy successes for Warnock's election because Warnock ran on them very effectively. And they all got the same people we're seeing on the on um, uh, squawking now who got the whole 2022 election midterms wrong right. are now pivoting and saying, gee, maybe achieving things for people really matters. And this was one, I mean, we don't know this because even the even the mainstream lip, quote unquote liberal media doesn't really convey this. This was one of the most successful yeah. first two years of any, of a, any president in American history domestically, despite the fact that it didn't achieve the aspirations of the administration, which tells you how bold those aspirations were, folks. Well, and let's face it, there's a lot of pent up governing that needs to be done. We've talked about this. Uh, we haven't even begun to really deal with the economy as we've spent time talking about the the fact that the Fed is running our economy right now because Congress is checked out of actually leading. Uh, look, we're going to talk more about that. We're going to we're going to talk also a little bit looking forward. Uh, President Biden, I want to get your thoughts, Robert. Uh, he We announced, look, President Biden basically forced the Democratic uh, National Committee to accept South Carolina primary this week. And I want to get your thoughts on that. What it portends for 2024, but we got to take a break. We'll get that right after this. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, South Carolina primary. It's going to be first. Uh, you know, we all know it was super critical to Joe Biden. Super critical. Joe Biden wouldn't be president of the United States without South Carolina. It fundamentally changed part of the dynamic. Uh, and he this week made sure that it would be 
the the next in the next election cycle, the first primary, which of course pushes the first primary in New Hampshire back, and then of course the Iowa caucus, which good lord, 2020, what a disaster that was. Robert. And then of course, I'll throw in later, there has been discussion among some, should President Biden run again? I think a lot of that, the idea that maybe he shouldn't after the election has probably been subsided a little bit, <laughs> but I want to get your thoughts uh, in the context of the 2022 election, but also looking forward. And let's not kid ourselves. He is no spring chicken, Robert. Um, as far as the primaries, we have, we have hold multiple thoughts here. The time of Iowa and New Hampshire is long past. So that's positive. Okay. South Carolina is an improvement on them because if it's diversity, it is not an ideal first state. It's also not the biggest state. The problem with starting with the biggest states is it, it rules out non-established mechanics who can't raise tons of money. But it is Georgia. Right. <laughs> well, Georgia is a lot bigger. Georgia's double the size of Wisconsin, folks. I don't people realize mm -hmm. that the that population growth down there. Uh, so um, more than double. But so, it is a swing state, clearly, and it's yeah, diverse. That would be better. And it, and it um, speaks to the new South, or at least a new vision of maybe where the party does, could go. It has, it's massively diverse, which is why it's a purple state, but it does have a white progressive base that you, hard to identify in South Carolina. Um, <laughs> the uh, So it's both. You want all of it, not just yeah. one or the other. Uh, the second, but... Um, you know, it, it, it's a little unseemly that it made Biden president, uh, that it's a lot unseemly, unseemly that it's, it's a deep red state and therefore it's not really a player. And it's kind of unusual. The, the <laughs> vote, the vote of Democrats in South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, those deep south red states is not typical of the Democratic Party, even though it is heavily black. So therefore much more diverse. Uh, so Michigan makes a lot more sense. It's being moved up. New Hampshire is going to challenge all this. Uh, Georgia, the problem with moving up is the Republicans are going to block it in the state and refuse to allow, apparently, the Kemp administration, the parties to have primaries on different days. And so there's that problem. I don't know if that's addressable or not. Um, so I'd say this is an improvement. But we one bad precedent here, Matt, is we can't have each president changing the order for their reelection. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's that is the most shocking thing to me is that like basically he got the president dictated the elect the schedule as as he heads into his reelection. I it's just it it's unseemly to me. I don't like it. Uh, but whatever. I I'm I do like the fact that Iowa. I just, just the Iowa New Hampshire thing. I understand there's sentimentalists, but please especially after 2020 the iowa caucus was a complete disaster uh, nobody got a bump out of iowa because it was it, oh, it, right. it didn't allow it to and it it, it it made the party look inept and so oh, that that oh, total mess um, that was not I'll, helpful <laughs> i'll say this we need to hold these two thoughts the republicans are far more ruthless than any democrats okay but within the democratic party the establishment wing 
is much more ruthless than the progressive wing and uses every leverage of power, like the composition of Democrats committee, which they pay very close attention to, to dominate. And I can say that as a veteran of the platform wars between um, Clinton and Sanders in 2016, I can tell you that they're not, it's not fair to say they're as bad and ruthless about power as Mitch McConnell, but you know, they're not exactly small D Democrats in these contexts either, folks. Yeah, Robert, I when I set you up at the beginning of this conversation, I did throw out the, this idea about, you know, should Biden run again? I, I was sort of half joking because it's so obvious the guy is going to run again. And and why wouldn't he? I mean, well, this guy's put his entire he's put his entire life. And I know there's bigger things, but politicians do have their uh, own egos and. Joe Biden has spent his entire life doing this and he ran multiple times and he's in this moment. And I think he like in some ways he'd be kind of nuts not to stay in the fight and not to see that he was, as you just said, like part of him has got to be like, I think I just accomplished the most of anybody. Uh, and and that's got so like, I think he's absolutely running. I just think there's no way he wouldn't. But your thoughts on that? There have been people talking about that, you know, trying to make the argument he shouldn't run, which is I've made it. I've definitely made it. <laughs> there's the pundit class in the media making stories that don't need to be news and not focusing <laughs> on the actual news. Yes. So everyone wants to have this conversation. I go on talk shows when they do, as if somehow the participants in the talk show get to decide these things. Okay? Or have special information. <laughs> right, which they don't. And, oh, they, they tell you about people who, who would be in Republican side that would come over me. They're ambassadors with no information other than, gee, wouldn't that be good? And we can get their seat. Uh, all of that. Uh, all of the, the, the pet theories. But yeah. I'll say this. Even if Biden decides not to run, it'll probably be because of health issues, how he's feeling as a, at his age. We don't know how he's actually feeling, whether he thinks he's up, because president's a hard job, folks. Uh, He'd be crazy to say it now. He'd be a lame duck. So whether he's <laughs> going to or not going to is not going to be announced. And it only hurts the Democrats to attack someone who may run, in fact, is well positioned to run. The second thing is be careful what you ask for. Are we really sure there's a strong standard bearer to beat, say, DeSantis or even worse, the governor of Virginia, who's, who's, who's even more you know, legitimate while also being a, a jackass? Yeah. Um, in uh, in 2024, uh, reminds me, and I'm on multiple national boards, so I you won't be able to guess. I'm on one national board of the organization. Got very upset and forced out the executive director, but it didn't really have an idea of who would replace them. And that it's like, be careful what you ask for, right? And furthermore, if Biden runs, he's an incumbent president. He's gonna win the primaries, folks. So guess what? Yeah. It's his decision, well, not your decision. So just shut up on social media and pundits go cover news, please. Hey, so I deliberately brought both of these up because they tapped into a lot of this, but they're they they are look, everybody stop it. Joe Biden is gonna run for re-election. That's just I I think it's a hundred percent. And the, as you said, Robert, the only way he doesn't is if there's some medical or family reason where he just decides he can't do this. And I just don't see that because Robert, I have, I, I, I agree me. with you. I'm just too old for this drain. So, but even if he's made that decision, we have no knowledge of yes. that. He's not telling us now. And it, there's no appearance of that. He's been going around like 
gloating the last couple of weeks. And and look, it's worth mentioning. I was second row with his Milwaukee speech at Labor Fest. And I'm telling you, I, I this is not to say there's any issue with our governor. He was a thousand times more energetic than our governor. I mean, if you're comparing him, you worry about Evers more than Biden. Biden was walk, running around the stage like a like a man 20 years younger than his age. Look, um, Robert, neither of us supported Biden in the primary. Everybody knows who listens to the show. We are very progressive, left of center. Uh, but but look, we we both agree that we think this first two years of the Biden administration was the most successful two years of any president that we've been involved in working with, much less one who actually had his operation open up to groups like us and engage us in trying to figure out how to be successful and having them do it in a way, understanding who we were and what we weren't going to do, which like, I'm just going to say that's refreshing as someone who's been in this work for a long time and you're either on the team or you're not right. And And this is a much more sophisticated understanding. You've talked about it of how this movement has changed. And we have a progressive movement within the democratic party. You cannot govern without it. And Joe Biden's understood that. So it's a very different terrain than even, uh, let's say, four years ago uh, when people were starting to announce who would run against Trump. And I was going to say, I don't want to be like the the pundits who (laughs) always tell you when they were right before, but they don't tell you all the things they were wrong about, right? Um, But, you know, I saw this path when Biden was winning and I'm not the only one, but we were a minority. I wrote about it in these Times Magazine um, that uh, that he acted very differently as soon as he won than Clinton. He actually started negotiations with the with the Sanders team and went through all huge six major policy errors, created sub uh, uh, committees, told his staff that he wanted New Deal size ideas, and people have been with him 30 years couldn't believe what they were hearing. We're asking each other, did I really just hear that? He saw the direction of the party, he saw the needs of the country, and he's both. He's a hybrid. He took on a lot of progressive agenda, but he's still moderate in other ways. Look at foreign policy. Uh, Look, he's not willing to go all the way to immigration, but he's willing to do a lot more than Obama was on immigration. So he's this interesting, he's the transitional figure, he's this interesting person. He's remained with a very good uh, relationship with the uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus and with the Progressive Bloc in the U.S. Senate. You can't say that about Obama or Clinton um, or Carter, actually. So you can't say that. You have to go back to Carter was primary by Kennedy, right? So obviously, and yeah. Carter that was, veered yeah. right in weird ways that weren't even good politics. Uh, but he was not ready <laughs> to be president. He was a great ex-president. He was a bad president. Got to be folks, able to hold both those thoughts. <laughs> we we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna send our attention back to Wisconsin. But before we do that, Robert, I do want to get your thoughts and comments on the Supreme Court uh, discussions around the independent legislature before we switch over, and we'll transition how that might impact us here in Wisconsin. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Battleground Wisconsin is sponsored by Wisconsin Education Association Council Region 2, WEAC Region 2, protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in central Wisconsin area. Learn more at WEAC.com. 
weac.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, before we switch to entirely really focusing on the state and some of the stuff that's been going on here, I, mean, I want to get your comments on the independent legislature theory, which is before the Supreme Court this week. Um, you can provide a little background on it. I, I, a lot of our listeners, I assume, are tracking this and well aware this is absolutely critical. This, folks, this is where, obviously, um, and, and, and Robert, I'm going to just kick it to you and then I will step in. But I tell us, first of all, the big news after the first day of testimony is we clearly got three justices who are on board with this whack theory. And we got three in the middle and we got three against Robert. Tell our listeners a little bit more about why this is so important and um, where we're headed with it or what your thoughts are on where you think the court may be headed. Let me let me specify why Matt's right to call it a whack theory, but to take a step back, because we don't want to get like the right where we call everything outside whack. OK, it's whack theory because it had no legal standing until recently and reluctant testimony, which is the strongest kind of one of the strongest kinds of evidence. A number of very conservative um, legal experts, including the Federal Society, think it's a whack theory. OK. And then you get to the details of it, okay? It requires you basically to impose an ideological view you wish to have upon the situation, the constitution, because it not only depends upon a, a, a completely novel, after over 200 years, interpretation of the text of the constitution, it requires you to, the backing for it is a plan proposed in the, in the, in the uh, constitutional convention by a slaveholder from South Carolina, Charles Coatsworth Pickney, and they kept terrible records. And uh, during the Constitutional Convention, they didn't actually have the proceedings. Uh, the secretary did a very bad job. And there was a commission that John Quincy Adams, before he was president, headed that tried to rebuild the record. And they sent Charles Coatsworth Pickney requests for the actual text of the plans he had introduced. And he was a very arrogant man. I guess slaveholders tended to be that way. And so he apparently, it's very clear, historians know that he sent stuff that had been written much later to make himself look better historically. And they're basing it on that. And serious historians of the era don't. And when you see these people in black robes claiming they're interpreting some original history, you know what? They make historians who know this material's eyes roll. The black, they're no lot more legitimate than the moral claims coming from the theocracy in Iran and the black and, and the black robes are similar. Think about it. There's two things here that you can not know diddly about all of the details that Robert will continue to tell you after I finish saying this one, anything that in this country where we always talk about checks and balances, where something's important as fundamental voting rights, you know, who gets to, who, who won an election would just be determined by a legislature and there would be no like role for a governor or a court or any checks or balances. It's laughable. Nobody that it just nobody learned that there's. And, and so it, it smacks as un-American. And then, Robert, this whole idea that 
people already hate the electoral college. They hate anything that gets in the way of one person, one vote in many ways. And the idea that they could step in and overturn an election of what the voters actually and then it's it's so undemocratic that those two fundamental things if just don't sit with the American public. So I don't care where the tortured court goes. But, Robert, back to the tortured court. What's the state of play? Uh, We got three in the middle who it's totally unclear as of, you know, early the first day of this that where they're coming down as organizers, we got to admit what we don't know. We know that shockingly, there are three that seem to be for it. We know there are two that one cannot rule out, given what else they've been willing to do. I, the only uh, conservative appointed justice I would rule out is John Roberts, though. So, but John Roberts might try to find a way, as we were talking about off air, Matt, to cut the baby in half, but it's hard to know what it is because the, it says the legislature is supreme. How could it be half supreme? And why would the (laughs) language justify that? Right. But you don't, we get caught up in these legal arguments. Like what Justice Scalia's brilliance was, was not in actual legal argumentation. It was finding a legal artifice to justify right-wing ideology, okay? So once you understand they're politicians in robes, then you say, why make the legislature, why find this little evidence we can like drive a truck through this little thing um, about the language and about what Charles Coates with Pickney said in, in a plan, which he didn't actually submit at the Constitutional Convention. Why do that? Because the structure is such, if you think about cutting the country into states and you think about the Republican domination of the the larger land masses, in other words, as a natural cracking and packing that gives them advantage in legislatures, uh, you actually have a right-wing predominance. It's the the, the, mo- the most right-wing fi- control of the of, of elections is to vest it in state legislatures, and that is not an accident. That is the point. Well, this is going to be fascinating because I think nobody, certainly nobody, a year or two ago would have thought that we could be here where they might actually rule this way. And Robert. The next logical step, bringing it back to the state, and this will transition us to the state, is, Robert, if this were to actually, if this were to win in the court, independent legislature theory, by that, I mean, the Supreme Court race that we think is historically important around the ability to take a look at the maps again would be essentially, wouldn't matter as far as the federal races, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, it would because not it state. It doesn't federal. Make, it says it's Congress and the legislature. This theory, okay. would say. So Congress would have to be able to legislate. Okay. So I'm going to give you. I didn't give you a hot take on how it will go with the two, you know, unassessed justices. I'll give you a hot take. Hot happens. It's the end of the filibuster as soon as the Democrats get full control because passing it. Without just with over 50 votes is going to be the only way to restore Democrat democracy in this country. It's going to be that simple. Mm-hmm. And so it, it they should be careful what they ask for. Their best chance is to get this done this year, steal the presidency, and then make further changes that make it impossible for Democrats ever to rule again. Kind of the national version of what Tim Michaels promised if elected governor of Wisconsin. Yeah, look, if this thing passes... Um... I think you have your you you have your first really serious 
argument that can get mainstream support for packing the courts. There's been discussions on the left, right? We've talked about it on the show about why, Robert, you've laid out good reasons for why we should be able to pack the court. Those are probably not mainstream right now. They pull crap like this where you have you know, conservative legal scholars, just the general Americans who when they tune in and find out, because most people aren't tracking this, right? Let's remember that. We'll be shocked. And it will be de- completely between this and Roe and a whole series of things. It, if, Robert, if we're organized and help make that happen. And so that's part of why I want to talk about this. This may be one of those similar to Roe, we're in another situation where we need to be prepared for a bad verdict and seismic opportunity to radically change and maybe put some things on the table that just weren't because I don't, I can't comprehend that decision and what that means for the idea that we're living in a democracy or that the rule of law, it'll it'll really be challenging, (laughs) challenging. Um, Robert? Um, It depends on whether you think the stronger norm is the filibuster or the or the norm about quote unquote packing the court they packed the court already i would say we stop using that to describe what we're going to do we're rebalancing the courts and you know what the public already thinks a majority that they're not balanced so but it it, it they, i don't know which is a stronger norm matt they'll do the one that they can fix, they have two avenues. And it depends how much the legislation could do versus how much could be done if you expanded the court. Um, I think we should I think we should talk about a strategy to do both because both the norms suck. They're undemocratic. Yeah. Um, and this is the they're both uh, laid bare. And it's a huge opportunity, I think, to go after both of them with this. And um yeah, so I, I just think there should be a strategy as a movement. Uh, to to be thinking about that and be prepared for that if worst com- worst case scenario because yeah it's uh it's really bad uh, we'll talk more about this we'll track it but I believe we had to take a break Brian is that right you know here's their dodge I figured out the cut the baby in half two of them can say that there wasn't proper standing and remand it back and uh, oh, take a final decision exactly. or some other technical reason they haven't really decided, but they're not going to decide right now. That, uh, that, that might be what, what, Ro- what Roberts uh, is trying to figure out if he hasn't already. Well, folks, uh, we're going to obviously continue to track this. You're listening to the battleground Wisconsin. We're citizen action. Welcome back battleground wisconsin we're talking state politics robert big news uh this week is we definitely have a senate race evers called it last week we now have a four-way primary on the gop side which is fascinating and includes janelle brangen the very very trumpy mega she may be even more conservative than trump uh she's really out there but She's running against three other Republicans, which is a recipe. I just want to get your thoughts on that for her to potentially get through with the Trump base. They have uh, they have made a mistake in allowing too many bodies to get in. Now, I don't know that these two of these folks are serious. We may just have yeah, a two. If we just have a two person race, then Branchard's probably in trouble. But this is going to be fascinating because it is in. A very Trumpy area. This this parts of the Senate district are pretty conservative, but 
it's increasingly much, you know, suburban areas that are transitioning and maybe um, will reject someone like Janelle. But Robert, your thoughts on this? Fascinating. And uh, one Democrat now has announced an attorney from Whitefish Bay. Robert? Um, I just say that I usually rely on you and our movement politics as a Priscilla to have a finer grained analysis. Um, I don't know if those are all three serious candidates. If they are, your scenario seems very plausible to me on face that she could get through, which could jeopardize the seat. But I also would rely on you to tell me how red this seat is after the latest gerrymander, because I don't know that either for a fact. It's pretty just so folks know, that's a good question, Robert. Um, And I have. I I've not gotten any like there is no straight number right because there's it's it's a new district and so people are matching but it is the the numbers that I have heard it is definitely a Republican district that is probably that is why Devin Drock I'm sure chose to take a pass although I'll take her at her word she's very happy in her current position um, this is a, this is a Republican seat it will take um, significant Democratic turnout in 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 the election. And because it's an April election, it's not uh, you know a special election, which I think would have put it more potentially in play. I think it's a challenge. That's why you see the limited amount of Democratic candidates. We only have one so far. She's not a current office holder. Um, I'll just say this: she's a serious person. I Jody I know, is. I know her very serious. Right? There's no doubt. She'll. But it 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 demonstrates what I would say is a Republican district that is trending Democratic. It has one assembly seat. Right. But let's remember that assembly seat. She won Deb won with 57 percent solidly Dem. Those other two assembly seats were won with over 60 percent and they have an equal amount of voters. So that doesn't bode well if you're just looking at what the actual partisanship is. Uh, but I'll just say this. Brandard wins. If Janelle's in, this thing is in play. Right. She puts it in play, given what we saw, I think, this fall and her unique things about her that are go beyond just being a mega supporter. Robert. Jody Habish-Sinekin is a very serious environmental leader and a very engaging, very brilliant person. Um, so I wouldn't sell her short. She's extremely articulate. I've had some of the best conversations I've ever had on environmental issues in this state with her. And uh, she's a live wire. I mean, the woman's mind is moving constantly and she's thinking things through. So, I mean, I, I, as soon as I saw it was her, I'm like, oh, I bet she could be a great candidate. And I fact think that she might have much more of a ceiling than Deb Draca, but obviously she doesn't already hold a seat, have name recognition or, or know the ropes of running for assembly. But I'm saying that her, her upside is very high as a potential candidate, in my opinion. I think she's very funny. She's very tied to look to the legal community as well as the environmental community. So that's a really good fundraising position to be in. Look, I'm excited about the race just because of the changing of this area of uh, suburban Milwaukee. It's very important. Um, and even if this is not a seat that is winnable right now, it is. it, it will be very different uh, in 10 years, in four years, right? Things are changing. And this election will hopefully demonstrate that. And I agree, Jody's a strong candidate. I just, I was just giving you the facts on um, my sense of the lay of the land and why say Deb didn't get in or other electeds. Uh, so Jody is a great choice. Folks, we'll talk more about that uh, down the road, but Robert, 
want to get your, we got, we just got about six minutes left here and I want to get your thoughts on a few things. So some going to come at you with a couple of things. One is Milwaukee and Dane County were subpoenaed this week from the department of justice around the fake electors investigations. Your thoughts. We know there was a very active and still is an active as far as we can tell, because of Robin Voss's conversation with Trump attempt to overthrow the Wisconsin election. And it makes sense that his attorneys, including this one who led the whole false electors legal strategy, um, would have been in communication with Wisconsin election officials. So this tells us the DOJ is really bearing down on that. Uh, don't we don't I mean, no one knows what other evidence they have or what evidence the Milwaukee, city of Milwaukee or, the, or Dane County are going to have, but they're collecting everything. And it just tells you that there's real legal jeopardy here, no matter what the House House does in the, in the next two years. So, Robert, thank you. Uh, one other quick issue. Uh, oh, I know you wanted to comment a bit about there's been discussion around the railroad strike and Biden's role, uh, but there's also this week we had big news around the bailout of the Teamsters pension and Biden administration. And I know both those issues had you thinking and you had some thoughts on that. Help enlighten our listeners on what you were thinking around the president and unions. Well, the four railroad unions that uh, rejected, you know, by vote the agreement, they're understandably irate and making lots of charges of, of all the Democrats being anti-union. I, I, I'm not, I've been at the bargaining table before, so I don't, I, I need to know more in a way to understand it. I understand why they're saying that and why they would feel that way and their issue. No paid sick days with this dangerous demanding work with all this overtime is absolutely real. I think it's important to understand that even pro-labor politicians still have different interests and that unions often have conflicting interests. So if you shut down the railroads, you unemploy a lot of industrial workers and, and auto workers, for example. So to, to support unions doesn't necessarily mean the union is right in every case to go to completely push the envelope. I'm not saying they were wrong. I'm saying that we need to be able to hold both ideas. It doesn't necessarily make them anti-union. Truman did the same thing with the ra railroad strike because of the risk to the whole economy. And so you hold that and then you see that Biden actually put 86 billion in the American Rescue Plan to bail out all of these troubled pension funds. And the reason they're troubled is because of our industrial policy and our pulling the rug out from uh, union workers with pensions and moving away from pensions, much to our detriment, which would cause a much more poverty among seniors and future generations. So he is able to put over 20 billion towards this large Teamster pension fund that was going to uh, have to cut benefit 60%. And the reason is the pensions were calculated based on having a lot more workers in the future. And when you decline the industry, then there aren't enough current workers to pay for the pensions of the retired workers. So this is corporations abandoning and finding a way to cheapen things up to have a non-union truck industry without pensions, right? Deregulation about deindustrialization and about the Democrats and Republic Republicans being for it and Democrats being at least complicit, if not for it, depending on which Democrat politician we're talking about. So this is the right thing to do. And this is one of the most pro-union things Biden has done. And it's not just theoretical. Yeah, he actually has done it. And Robert, the last thing is I wanted to give you an opportunity to remind everybody uh, the Affordable Care Act deadline is 
December 15th. If you want coverage by January 1st, this is really important, people. Uh, unfortunately, we only have these small open enrollments. So please make sure you sign up. If you need healthcare by the January 1st, you have until the 15th. Open enrollment, however, is through January 15th. So you can wait until January 15th to sign up. It's just you will not have it right away. You'll have to wait a little bit to get it going. So just wanted to state that. Robert, before we go, I want to give you a chance to, um, we need to congratulate our president. He uh, won a major award this week. We're super proud of him. He's been, you know, really helping lead this organization now for a number of years uh, through a very transition transitional period. Uh, but he is also an outstanding trial lawyer. Uh, Mark Thompson. Robert, tell our listeners more. Mark's, you know, not only the president of one of our boards and on the election commission, he's a great lawyer. And that's why he's been recognized this way. Yeah, he is unbelievable. And for people who don't know his story, talking about a former steel worker who, when he lost his job, put himself through law school and now works on behalf of workers. So thank you, Mark, uh, for leading our organization uh, and uh, congratulations. And Robert, final comment. So we'll teach it more, more in depth. Future Battleground Wisconsin state budget is coming up. Only bill that has to pass. Basically, it's been the Republican budget the first two cycles. And the question is whether the Democrats and it's Governor Evers' decision, but obviously there's a lot of influence upon him from progressive groups, from other stakeholders, from moderates, from everyone. Um, I think that there should be more of a fighting spirit now that he is reelected for four years. That's what we think. And we think that that's the only way we get something like Badger Care expansion and other things, oh, much better funding for, for schools. So to be determined, we're just beginning yeah. our own conversations, as many, many, many advocacy groups are with the uh, Evers administration about how they see the next budget. Yeah, folks, we're going to talk a lot more about that uh, in the next month because it's absolutely critical. And Robert's right. And Evers is the only one in this uh, drama who has a mandate, who is elected statewide. The rest are part of a gerrymandered legislature that is illegitimate. Folks, we got to wrap it up. We got to thank our producer, Ryan Woldridge. He makes the podcast happen every week. We really, really appreciate him. Please come back, listen to us next week. You're listening here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Battleground Wisconsin is sponsored by Wisconsin Education Association Council Region 2. We Act Region 2, protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in central Wisconsin area. Learn more at weac.org. We